everyone, and welcome to Behold, the podcast where we try to answer once and for all, what is the best comic book adaptation? Yes, be it movie or TV show, we'll watch it and rank it until we have our definitive number one. And who is we? Well, I'm your host Andrew, and as per usual, I'm joined by my co-host Mick. Hello! And this week, returning from our History of Violence episode, we've got Graham as well. Hi there. So, how are we you thought both? we'd invite Graham... We thought we'd invite Graham along because this week's film is thematically similar to A yeah, History of Violence. Roughly as harrowing, yes. Yes, yes certainly. Last time <laughs> Graham was on, it was history in the making as Road to Perdition was finally unseated as our number one. Could, could, could the same thing be about to happen this week? <laughs> At the other end of the table. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'd... I think there's kind of no point eating about the bush. And let's just get straight to us having an absolutely foul time and other similar caliber of puns. As we behold... It's a, it's, a, it's a terrible malady that you're suffering from there, Andrew. <laughs> Listeners think puns are better than the ones in the movie. God well, help us, true. it's a Howard the Duck episode. And we didn't have the budget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, yes, today we are talking about Howard the Duck, the 1986 film, directed and written by, well, you know, I know I usually talk about directed and written by, but I think Hmm. maybe in this film the term is better, committed by Willard (laughs) Yuck and Gloria Katz, and based on the Marvel Comics character created by Steve Gerber in 1973. Yes, I do think it's quite appropriate that this film has a director and co-writer whose surname sounds like you're trying to sort of hock something up from the back of your throat. <laughs> oh, see, I, I, I was going to go down the other route of being surprised that someone with the last name Yuck is so bad at comedy. Well, I, I, <laughs> I think this was just uh, part of a phase that, because uh, George Lucas produced this, didn't he? Um, mm. I, I think it was a phase he was going through of trying to find uh, screenwriters that rhymed with the movie he was making. Oh, the Harry Hell system. Yeah. Howard the Duck, yeah. Willard Hook. They'll have a system. <laughs> Man, he had troubles with the Phantom Menace. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. But anyway, so. Howard the Duck as a character, are either of you kind of familiar with him? I I have a passing acquaintance with Howard the Duck. Um, in the, as you know, I'm a big Deadpool fan, and there was a miniseries a couple of years ago where, uh, due to the um, confusing dimensional forces at play in the Marvel Universe, Howard the Duck ends up swapping bodies and minds with Wade Wilson. Right. To become <laughs> Deadpool the Duck. Fair enough. Surely it's, it's either one or the other. No. If, if they swap both, is that not then the mind no, no, of Deadpool well, no. in the body of Deadpool so, and the mind of well, Howard the Duck in Howard the Duck? Well, no, because... Well, it's weird, because physically... Howard is a duck in a Deadpool outfit, but Howard's consciousness 
still in the body of a duck somehow in spirit form is in the nth dimension but also Wade Wilson's spirit form is it's it's a confusing comic it sounds a bit like that episode of the Simpsons where Chief Wiggum's taking people around his enchanted bestiary at Renaissance <laughs> Fair and he's got things like a rabbit with the head of a rabbit <laughs> and the body of a rabbit. So that so basically basically I think that there's some interdimensional jiggery pokery that means that when Howard's consciousness in um swaps with Wade's, their spirit forms then take on the body of the thing. So you get a duck in a Deadpool outfit and you get uh, Deadpool in Howard's traditional sort of private eye stuff, wandering, uh, sort of floating around on an asteroid in the dark dimension, I think it is. But basically they, they have to work it with each other across the void to try and overcome the um, cosmic disaster that has befallen them. And basically, it's exactly as you'd expect a comic where two wholly inappropriate characters riff off each other. So, in order to answer the question that uh, Mick has just answered for myself, I feel like I know less about Howard the Duck as a character than I did when I first came on this podcast (laughs) after that. I mean... If it's any consolation for you, Graham, I read some of the original 70s Howard the Duck series, and in issue two, he fights an evil psychic space turnip. So this all is just part of the course. I mean, let's be honest, we're talking an early 70s comic book character. We know what Howard... Howard the Duck is not the uh, product of a dimension where the sentient beings on the planet are ducks. He's the product of a decade of LSD misuse. Yes. I mean, <laughs> yes and not even as a joke. That was pretty much Marvel offices in the 70s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Also, the one thing possibly even weirder than Howard the Duck stories is Howard the Duck's real-life impact. Because I know oh. the series was quite popular initially, and it's led to some weird stuff. Like, first of all, there was a storyline um, where this is part of some evil organization's sinister plan. Howard ends up running for the president. Running for president. Uh, that then led Excellent. to, in the actual real-life 1976 presidential election, Howard <laughs> the Duck got thousands of write-in votes. <laughs> <laughs> Then, in 1977, Marvel ironically got in a bit of hot water with the old Disney company. Because Howard the Duck bears just a teeny tiny resemblance to Donald Duck, if you you maybe squint a bit. Mm. I mean, they're both ducks. There's only so far you can go with the character design to differentiate them. Yes. Well, funny you should say that, because... Marvel did come up with an ingenious solution to fixing the Howard the Duck problem. And that's oh. the origin of why Howard the Duck has trousers. <laughs> but yeah. 
possibly yeah that's correct like the biggest thing with howard the duck though is that around about 1980 kind of as plans for a howard the duck movie or tv show or something were being shopped around uh steve gerber Mm. who as i say created the character actually sued marvel for copyright infringement basically claiming you know he's the creator of this character so therefore you know he should get some kind of say or at least some kind of you know share of the profits and if that sounds fair to you listeners welcome to how much the world of comics sucks Exactly, yeah, because this will be very early on in the comics to film pipeline, would it? I mean, you said 1980, Superman the movie only came out in 78. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and certainly... So pre- presumably this had yet to be hashed out and there were uh, still lots of exciting doors open to rip off creators. I mean, to be to be fair, you've missed out a whole decade of comic book movies because we'd had Batman 66 as well. True, true. Yes. And actually, yes, Graham, the, what you're looking for are three words in particular, which is work for hire. So uh, basically, for anyone who, who doesn't know what that is, when comics were first sort of a thing in like the, the late 1930s, early 1940s, um, pretty much all of them came up with this system of we are a company and we will hire writers who will do work for the company. Therefore, we'll pay you, but anything you create is our property. Which, you know, at the time, probably seemed like, well, whatever, I I can make like... It's a job, isn't it? Yeah, it's a job, and I'm making like seven different characters who are muscly men who punch Nazis each week. Who cares about... Yeah, it's the Great Depression. You can't get too... Exactly. But yeah... Flash forward a few decades when suddenly, oh, we can sell these rights for literally like millions and millions of dollars. Suddenly, mm. or fifty p, as Marvel did later. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, barring a period in the nineties. <laughs> but yeah, suddenly, yes, this character who we are going to launch our massive interconnected film franchise off, and we will pay you pretty much a living wage for creating seems seems less like a sweet gig yeah uh, i'll tell you what it does seem it seems like the gig economy they invented that the yeah. beauty of the 21st century is that we can all be bill finger we can indeed we are we are all bill i want that on a t-shirt the bob canes <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and unfortunately I, yeah as I say, because this is how the comics industry was set up, basically Steve Gerber just had absolutely no legal precedent, and so his, his case was pretty much just thrown out of court. But, uh, to, to quote Jack that, Kirby, comics say, will break your heart. I was going to say it sucks, but it did disassociate him from this film. So yeah, yeah. And also, to be fair, Steve Gerber did get like a pretty funny revenge, like a bit later in the nineties. Because basically, oh. as part of his initial law, like law proceedings, he started an independent book called Destroyer Duck, which is what if Howard <laughs> put more muscles? Um, that actually ended right. up running on for quite a while because he initially just started doing it to kind of try and fund his legal campaign. Uh, eventually, he got a crossover with 
the Image comic Savage Dragon. And at the same time, Steve Gerber was also writing an issue of Spider-Man Team-Up, where Howard the Duck appears. And Gerber basically pretty much in the background of two different comics by two different companies set up a whole story where Howard the Duck is kidnapped out of the Marvel Universe and replaced with an identical clone. So pretty much any future stories that would have the Duck, screw you, it's not the same character. He's in my universe now. <laughs> That's superb. It is. It's, it's very good. Which go, That's not the words I should have ended on because now we have to move on to the synopsis for the Howard the Duck film. Yeah, how are you going to segue from that? Um, with a weary and disappointed sigh. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, to be fair, can you not just synopsize it by saying follows the plot of almost every comedy action movie of the 80s? Yeah, well... <laughs> But with a duck. But with a duck. Now with added duck. Well, yes, I was going to say, because usually this is the point at which I would, you know, warn our listeners, you know, there are going to be full spoilers ahead. But I mean, I don't think Howard the Duck really has much of a plot to spoil, does it? It doesn't. I think it's... critics during the 80s could sometimes be a bit guilty of looking at all this new spectacle in Hollywood films and declaring it all charmless and plotless and meaningless, whereas, of course, a lot of those films still mean a lot to people today. But if you wanted to hold up one film that absolutely validates those concerns, it would probably be Howard the Duck. I guess we better get to it then, shouldn't we? Yeah. I don't see why you're saying it's not going to take long. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, this is like the the next, you know, two minutes of my life down the drain. <laughs> so, Howard, voiced by Chip Zine and played by Ed Gale in some kind of elaborate feathered torture device, uh, <laughs> is an anthropomorphic duck who lives on the planet Duck World. Relaxing one day in his armchair, he is accidentally dragged to Earth by a science experiment gone wrong. How? Because reasons. Yeah, it's. I think the official explanation is lasers or something. <laughs> <laughs> and now, and now I, I know we've only just started the synopsis, but I do have to take a just brief sidebar to mention the fact that as Howard is being abducted, he's like dragged through his apartment block and past... Hmm. A female duck who is in the bath, fully naked from the waist up. Yes. Yeah. And if, if listeners, you're sat there thinking, well, that doesn't sound too awful. Ducks don't have any root bits. They do on they anthrop- add them. <laughs> they do on anthropomorphic duck world. Oh, oh God. Why yeah. do they have them? That's, you know sometimes how you know certain images are going to haunt you to the very day you die? <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, that's only the start of the disturbing things about this movie. It is. Yes. It's, all, it's also very helpful when you have a point, kind of, I mean, maybe two and a half minutes into the film, where you just instantly realise, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> 
I, because... I, you see, I, I, I would dispute that you only get two and a half minutes into the movie for that bit because there's about 15 to 20 hours of world building prior to that as Howard walks around his <laughs> room. His flat looking at sort of a, a duck soft car magazine. I yeah. mean, I'd, I'd heard some things about how mishandled the love story is in this, but I was not prepared for how absolutely horned up every single second of this war began yeah. film. Is. I mean, what yeah. I will say in that opening sequence's defense is it is, is one of the mm. blessed few moments in the film in which you do not have to look at Howard's face. <laughs> anyway back to synopsis so yes landing in the hellscape of cleveland ohio howard rescues musician beverly switzler leah thompson from some thugs with his quack foo and she offers to let him stay there after some unless well, of course you read it off wikipedia in which case it's a unique style of martial arts <laughs> that's a very diplomatic <laughs> way of describing it <laughs> So, jumping ahead through some comedy-adjacent misadventures, Howard and Beverly meet <laughs> Dr. Walter Jennings, played by Jeffrey Jones. Jennings is the scientist who accidentally brought Howard to Earth with his laser spectroscope. However, before they can send him back to Duckworld, the machine malfunctions, and Jennings is possessed by a dark overlord of the universe. Not realising that Jennings is possessed, Howard and Beverly take him with them as they go on the run from the police. Then they have a fight with some truckers at a diner before Jennings kidnaps Beverly. And you may notice that bit of synopsis is quite vague because I genuinely do not in any way understand how the sequences that tie those series of events together are supposed to come out. It, it <laughs> no. just happens... And then suddenly we're at the end of the movie. I, I think this is one of those uh, where when when the producer or when the studio called George in to explain himself, he probably went because comics. Yeah, it's an hour fifty long, and it still feels like it's been brutally shorn of most of its connective tissue, yeah. which is ominous. I think we should you know start whatever the opposite of release the Snyder Cup is. We should do it for this. We should imprison the Lucas sure Cup. <laughs> yeah, that make sure this never surfaces. The th- right. The most disturbing thing about this film for me is Lee Thompson really needs to talk to her agent. This was like one year after Back to the Future, yeah, wasn't where she it? played the nineteen fifty five version of Marty McFly's mother. And lusted mm. after her own future son. Yes, yeah. She then follows that up with a scene in which she ha- starts a relationship with a king duck. <laughs> I assume she said to her agent something like, Oh, I don't want to be just one of those actresses where you play some clean cut hero's <laughs> love interest and that's all there is. It's like, well, careful what you wish for. That you, one finger on your monkey's paw has just gone down. Either that or in a in a sort of bizarre sort of standing up to the man way, her agent made some advances. And to make her life as difficult as possible, 
when she rejected those advances, he went, uh, I'll get my vicarious thrills elsewhere then. <laughs> Meet Howard. <laughs> you know, I think that's the only time Howard the Duck has been described as a thrill. <laughs> anyway, shall, shall I at least finish this synopsis then? Well, must you? I genuinely what? thought you had what? to keep no. going. Why bother the scriptwriters didn't? That's very true. But anyway, <laughs> Howard escapes from the police with the help of Beverly's friend, Phil Blumbers, who for some god unknown reason is played by Tim Robbins. Yeah, that's right. Who Him. still ended up to get a career after this? I know. He was in the Shawshank Redemption. And he this. Academy Award winner Tim Robbins. What you what you don't understand is that this was the first joined cinematic universe. The reason Tim Robbins is in prison in the Shawshank <laughs> Prison <laughs> is because and originally that poster on the wall, it was meant to be the movie poster for Howard the Duck, but copyright. So, <laughs> so they go back to Jennings' lab where he's about to use the spectroscope to summon the rest of the overlords to Earth so that they can possess Beverly. Uh, Howard uses a neutron disintegrator to kill the overlord in his true form, but is forced to destroy the spectroscope to close the portal, leaving him permanently stranded on Earth. Uh, not that he minds too much, though, as Howard is now the manager of Beverly's band. Cue the big musical number. And that's the end. That's literally, we got distracted on like every single point. And I think that's still the shortest synopsis we've had on the show. (laughs) (laughs) You see, what I can't understand is this film still has something of a cult status. There are genuine fans of this film and it's not even a film that's so bad it's good. Yeah. So I think mm. I think the fundamental problem is that when bad films that are fun, what they are more often than not is a film that's trying very hard to be serious. Like, say, the 1990s Captain America movie. And so mm. when it fails at that, it's very funny. But Howard the Duck yes. is a yeah. comedy. It's like actively trying to be funny. And when it fails at that, which I need to stress, it does in every single regularly, scene. just constantly, unendingly <laughs> failures to be funny. It's just an absolutely wretched experience, isn't it? It's a film that was described by well, People think... magazine as Lucasfilm promised us the Mallard who fell to earth, and the result turned out to be more like Xanaduck. <laughs> I mean, that's good, but it's made me wonder what the draft of it was that was like the man who <laughs> fell to earth was. Oh. Well, there was a scene where Lee, Lee Thompson's stuff. character peed herself. <laughs> as she was, as she realised she was in a relationship with a duck. Yeah, as she would be more than justified <laughs> in doing, yes. Yeah, I, I just... That relationship is really the fulcrum of what is wrong with this film, I think, because it is a film that 
And even considering this is like the PG-13 ratings just come in and the idea that you can have a film which isn't squeaky clean PG certificate but also isn't, you know, graphic and violent and R-rated, it's just beginning to dawn on Hollywood. But at the same time, you can watch things that inspired that rating to be created, like Gremlins now, and th- you, you don't think, oh, God, this is all over the shop. Who are they making this for? Mm. Where there's... This veers from the kind of simplicity that would insult the intelligence of a child audience too, and there's no way to soft soap this. A scene where Marty McFly's mother is trying to have full sexual congress with an anthropomorphic duck. Yes, that's that's just the objective description of what that scene is. Yes. (laughs) It's like, it's not even like they're playing it as a romance story. They absolutely want to bang. As I've said, every frame of this movie makes me wish that the horny police were real and they had government accredited <laughs> powers. The thing... Um, it, 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 it's a film that fails on so many levels. I just... You mentioned the duck-shaped torture device. <laughs> the scale of Howard is all over the shop. Mm, yes. There's a point where he's walking alongside a six-foot fence, level with the top of it, and then plonks himself down in in front of what I assume is an ordinary sort of standard-sized trash can that dwarfs him. Yeah, because this, this is an underrated thing, isn't it? An underrated factor in why movies like this that fail, fail. Because if you've shown me a bad uh, creature effect, and Mick, you and I are Doctor Who fans, we, we've we, seen bad creature We know. We, in fact, I believe I, I referenced a giant prawn in an email to you only this week. <laughs> you did, yes. But the thing about it is... You know, when when you've got something like the giant rat in the talons of Wang Chang, mm-hmm. which, you know, listeners, stay with us if you're not Doctor Who fans. Honestly, this goes somewhere. It doesn't look great, but it's consistent. It's there. Everyone knows how big it is, what it is, how to react to it. And after a while, you just accept yep. it. Whereas in something like this, or Cats, to take a more recent example, the creatures in it just change their size and mass and consistency so much that you never settle into it. The the how the duck effect is not awful, not by mid-80s standards. You could have got used to it, but it never finds a level. In fairness, I think in cats, the reason that their mass changes is because someone covered up their bum holes. <laughs> that, no, you've, you've added an M to that sentence, haven't you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's the gags don't work. Mm-hmm. It's like I I don't know how how old Willard Hook was when he wrote this, or Yuck, or Hike, Hook. Um, but it's like a thirteen-year-old watching Blazing Saddles and then trying to write their own version. Oh, God, it is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that 13-year-old does the baked beans-eating scene 
and everybody follows through. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's it's that level of bad. I would describe. There was a novelize as being a. There was a novelization as well, you know. Of Howard the Duck. <laughs> yes. I mean, to be fair. Weirdly, it's written by Don DeLillo. <laughs> no, written by National Lampoon editor Ellis Weiner. <laughs> oh no. Because there aren't enough boner gags in Howard the Duck to start with. Oh, speaking of boner gags, the main thing that got me is is in the affirmation horrible, horrible, almost sex scene. There's a bit where Beverly, like, strokes Howard's face and his sort of top feathers sort of stand on end. Like, like, like a boner, dear listeners. And just the, the thing I can't get out of my mind. Someone had to design that. Someone had to build a mechanism whereby a pretend someone. duck's feathers could stand on end because so- he was... Someone's Someone somewhere on the IMDb resume for visual effects has got Howard the Duck's boner as a <laughs> as a career entry. I won't say highlight. I, I wish you hadn't said entry, to be honest. But God, can you imagine if just like they met Stan Winston or someone and just said, oh yes, I, I too am a big fan of you know, animatronic practical effects. What, what have I done? Um, horny duck. I, 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 what if he's like still really proud of it now when he's watching modern films and just thinking, of course, if they did that gag with CGI, it would just, it wouldn't have the soul of humanity. <laughs> His erectile feathers would look weightless and fake. It's, um, it, it's probably history making though. It's probably the first time that six um, actors have re- received the worst actor nomination at the Razzies. <laughs> <laughs> and all for playing the same character. Oh, God, yeah, because, I mean, I, I kind of narrowed it down to Eddie Hill and Chip Zahn. But there's, like, additional suit performers, puppeteers, just a whole team of people. Imagine putting that much effort yeah. and getting that many people together for Howard the Duck. But surprisingly, it only it only tied for worst picture that year. What else was out? Do you remember when Prince got all pretentious? I mean, you say got. And did Under the Cherry Moon. Oh yeah, with Kristen Scott Thomas in her feature film debut. Yeah. It drew with that for the Razzies. <laughs> wow. You see... The thing is, the 80s were maybe the start of that time when people couldn't differentiate between a movie being awful and a movie being disappointing. It's kind of like how when people watch something like Ishtar mm. now, they say, well, it's, you know, it's got its rough spots, but I can't understand why anyone thought this was the worst movie ever made. Yeah. You know, they must have led a charmed life. This is not one of No, them. it really is This is not a misunderstood film. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. There was a there was a game adaptation as well. I dread to think what the missions were like. Uh well uh let's see. Uh all it says here 
Oh no, there's a link to the video game. But a video game based on the film was released for the ZX Spectrum, Commodore 64, and Apple II in 1986, and for the ZX Spectrum and Amstrad CPC in 1987. Why they chose to release it twice for the Spectrum, I don't know. Although I guess it was the year when they started doing the 128K Spectrum, and uh, you could buy different. The thing was maybe that no one bought it for the Spectrum. They thought, oh no. Everyone must have just missed the initial release by accident. I'm sure if we release it again, they'll realise and flood the, it. The game involves players controlling Howard the Duck to save his best friends, Phil and Beverly. After being parachuted to Volcano Island, Howard needs to find a backpack to proceed with the search. Well, presumably the one his parachute came out of would have been useful. Pretty sufficient, yes. Uh, the yeah. game consists then of four levels, in the last of which Howard, armed with a neutron gun, will finally face Overlord. Oh, he's, he's not the Dark Overlord anymore. He's been demoted. Well, either that or he's just like used some makeup to lighten himself up and, you know, just. Yeah, just, just got some spotlights. Oh, in. he's gone Bollywood. <laughs> uh, like the film, the game also received fairly negative reviews. Oh. I was about to say, like the film, <laughs> the game is crap. But yes! <laughs> it got 55% in a review that stated it was beautifully presented and well-programmed, rates as one of Activision's better recent releases and deserves consideration outside its unfortunate tie-in. <laughs> <laughs> Marvellous. Uh. God, this this film's just got nothing. It's got nothing. It's not even got good spin-offs. Do you want me to maybe sort of pitch a couple of things that I thought were basically acceptable? Yes, please do. Please try and justify anything about this film to me, Graham. You're going to reference Thomas Dolby, aren't you? I'm not going to reference Thomas Dolby because I'm not a Thomas Dolby fan. Um, No, but in the context of Howard the Duck, he's a good thing, right? He's a thing. Let's <laughs> let's let's not go crazy here. Um, there was a musical note though, which is that for some goddamn reason, this has an extremely lush and lavish score by John Barry. Yeah. Why? I don't know. The rest of the music, though, I found awful. It sounded. Yes. Oh God. It, yes. The the band Cherry Bomb. Uh, mm. seem to be um, a sort of knock-off runaways doing cover versions of um, disappointing B-sides discarded by Madonna. <laughs> yes. I mean, what are they meant to be, Cherry Bomb? It's like that. there seems to have been this phase in early 80s Hollywood where some executives just saw someone with a Mohican and went, that's it, that's our secondary villains for the next ten years. That's edgy, that yeah. is. Someone, yes, exactly. Someone has had the concept of punks described to them by like their cousin who <laughs> maybe read about them once in a, a magazine somewhere, I don't remember, but I'm pretty sure they looked like this. They, they definitely <laughs> yeah. all walk around in leather jackets with baby doll faces like stitched into them. <laughs> yes. And they all yeah the classic punk outfit there and they and they all have a strange fetish for 
aquatic waterfowl. <laughs> yeah, the the songs are terrible, and it the situation is not made any better when in the final musical number, listeners, it is my grave misfortune to say Howard does a guitar solo, which involves him doing a Chuck Berry duck walk. He does. Them's the gags, folks. Yeah. I mean, it's it's at and least that... a different gag to person thinks that Howard the Duck is not in fact a duck, to which he corrects him to say that he is a duck. Person is surprised. <laughs> yeah. that's, yeah. that's basically why the synopsis is so short, is that I've cut out all, like, 52 examples of that happening. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that's the thing, you know... You, you get a lot of comics, um, and by comics I mean comedians, who, you know, once they get a thing that works, they'll do it over and over again. Howard the Duck is a movie that once it's got a thing that doesn't work, it does it over and over again. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And it, it sort of made me reflect weirdly on what I thought the appropriate level of surprise should be for someone confronted by a talking anthropomorphic duck because I'm pretty sure that it should be more than the characters exhibit but also that it's still too much for an actual movie. It's like, I don't want to see this happen over and over yeah. again but if you are going to show me characters freaking out at the sight of a talking anthropomorphic duck... It has to be more than just them going, huh? Yeah. yeah. Also, I think it doesn't help because very quickly we as the audience get used to, oh, he is a talking duck. I understand this concept. Mm. And it's it's just annoying to have to watch other people try and understand the same thing that you grasped now. Yes. Yes, it really is. Is, the, is Howard the Duck what teaching children is like? <laughs> no, no, no. Because eventually, children go away if you give them if if you give them sugary treats. <laughs> Once they've repeated the question so many times, you can distract them with a sugary treat, and they will go away. But um, Howard the duck doesn't give up. As can be um, as can be witnessed by its home media release schedule, because oh. uh, it, you know, like most films, it came out on VHS in 1987, mm-hmm. and like most films that thought they were good, it came out on Laserdisc in 1987. <laughs> um, it was released on DVD in 2003. It was released on a special edition DVD in 2009. <laughs> I've changed my mind. The death of physical media is good now. I don't know. It was released. It was no. I haven't. I haven't peaked yet, and it's a much better gag than any of the ones in the film. Right. It was released on Blu-ray in 2016. Drum roll, please. It was also released on collector's edition Blu-ray on in 2019. Who collects Howard the Duck? What is it? A collection? A collector's edition of one shit film? 
God, I d- what is Sander over, oh, owning the Howard the Duck over. Collector's Edition of an original Howard the Duck laser disc? Do, do, do come in, Graham, Andrew. Settle yourselves down. Excuse the noise. That's the West Wing. It's being constructed to house, house my Howard the Duck Blu-ray collection. <laughs> Why, yes, I do consider myself a cinephile if you'll come over to my dining cabinet for one moment. Just a whole room with, like, a single pillow in the middle, and on that pillow, a beautifully lit by a single shard of sunlight. Is that how the duck is a the old Ferrero Rocher advert, but instead of Ferrero Rocher, it's the Howard the Duck Collector's Edition Blu-ray set. It's awesome. Also, while we're laughing about this, I feel like another important bit of backstory to include is that Howard the Duck costs mm. somewhere between $30 million and $37 million to make. Which, for sake of perspective... Aliens, which came out same year, you know, big James Cameron sci-fi action epic, cost eighteen and a half million dollars. Uh, how the duck made at the box office thirty-eight million dollars, which for people who don't know kind of how things like this tend to work, is the general consensus is that once you take in marketing costs, to be profitable, a film needs to be, needs to make at least double its budget. Which maths fans among you might notice, thirty-seven to thirty-eight, not double. No, not double by a lot. Uh, the the economics of it is sort of fascinating to me because it's one of those things you said when you see that awful kind of erect feathers gag, and you just think, God, there's probably like a team of people working on that. This is kind of in a bind, because obviously you need a massive budget to make a live-action movie where the hero is an anthropomorphic duck. But there is something so joke-killing about trying to be sort of zany and irreverent and countercultural within the context of this big Hollywood movie where everything looks maddeningly expensive. And every time... I, I mean, the... The classic example is The Dark Overlord, where I can imagine a version of this film where the fact that he is just called The Dark Overlord is a funny jab at how Mm. generic these things often are. But all I'm thinking is someone got paid a lot of money to come up with that name. I mean, not only that, but also, um, who is it who plays Jenning? Because he's in quite a lot of stuff, isn't he, in, in this era? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey, Jeffrey Jones, Jones. was a, a regular in the it, early Tim Burton movies. But isn't it basically every character he's ever played, the Dark Overlord? I mean, there are there, there are some disquieting things about Jeffrey Jones as, as a person, but we it's we'll try and keep yeah. it light. Yes, yeah, it is very much but in she... his wheelhouse. It's very much sort of Edgar from Men in Black. If it wasn't any yeah. good, yeah, and was covered in really god awful like Adobe, not even Adobe After Effects lighting effects, worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think 
possibly my favourite, at least Howard the Duck related joke, is on its TV tropes page, is just this thing, Jeffrey Jones playing himself. <laughs> but yeah, it's also, it's also funny that we mentioned this being a live action movie. It's probably originally the plan is that mm. it wasn't going to be, it was going to be a cartoon. But then basically they realized the amount of time it was going to take to do an animated movie that would take too long. So just screw it, live action, shove it all in there. They should have taken their time. Absolutely insane to think that something as glumping and over-budgeted as this was like the quickie, let's get it out in time option. Yeah. I know, it's so bad. <sighs> Especially because I feel like an animated film would have done a lot better getting kind of more what's the central point of Howard the Duck, which is, it's not just funny that, oh, he's a duck. It's funny because he's a cartoon character stuck in was ostensibly more of the real world and it's like that contrast mm. basically there has been a really good howard the duck movie its name is who famed roger rabbit yes yes <coughs> yeah when you said that i thought about who framed roger rabbit i think you know it's possible that if this had come out when George Lucas first thought of it, which was apparently as a follow-up to uh, American Graffiti. You can't remember what he did in its place. Something about something about wizards, I think. Um, <laughs> but if, if it had been done then, it could have rolled the wave of a few kind of, kind of marginal, but kind of fondly remembered 70s animations for adults like Fritz the Cat and Heavy Metal and you know, maybe it would look dated now, but I think it would get to the essential charm of the character a lot more effectively than this. Yeah. Also, give me a villain who's better than the Dark Overlord. Do you know what, do you know what villains Howard the Duck has in the comics? I was going to ask, well, yeah, where is this guy uh, from? Well, to give you the full rundown, then, he started off um, in a comic called Adventure Into Fear where he was a supporting character for someone called Man-Thing. I, I don't know. Are you aware right. of the giant size Man-Thing, Graham? <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've had some experiences with it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, basically, in terms of comics, though, do you know Swamp Thing? He's that. Yeah. Yes. But he's also yes. the guardian of the nexus of all realities. Over yes. my shoulder. Yes, that, that's how it kind of oh. ties together. What is the man thing? Yeah, he like guards basically the doorway between all different alternate universes, which as I believe how it's, Howard. It's basically a, re a reality based spaghetti yeah. junction. And I believe that's how Howard ended up kind of accidentally getting stuck in our universe in the first place. So, yes, basically, it started off as like man things, buddy who teams up with him. Uh, was a popular character, so got a mm. few backup features. Mostly doing like parodies of um, of sort of horror stories, so he'd fight enemies like like Garko the Man Frog and Bessie the Hell Cow, who were both <laughs> great. And Very then eventually, good. yeah, graduated to his own series. He got his own villains, like right. Obviously, there's the Space Turnip I mentioned before, but head and shoulders above the rest 
is the sinister, the malevolent, the ingenious Dr. Bong. And don't worry, everyone. <laughs> Who turns up in Deadpool the Duck. And, and don't worry, everyone. This is still a family-friendly show. So let's just point out that Dr. Bong is so cold because his head is a giant bell. <laughs> and one of his hands is a bell knocker and he can use it to, like, bang out bad sounds. Marvellous. Yes. He's also a journalist, which is his real superpower. <laughs> I, I'm laughing, but it seems quite normal in the British press to just employ the biggest bell you can find. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, thank you, Graham. The, the joke was nicely there, teed up. Good of you to take the kick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I guess. <sighs> in the interests of fairness, I should mention there was at least one thing that brought, like, the sliver of, like, the ghost of a smile to my face, which is... Was it the end credits? No, that that was more just relieved sobbing. But I'll admit, right. I, I did think Joe Roma's Cajun Sushi was a, a quite funny name for a diner. Even if that actually <laughs> in no way plays into what the diner is. <laughs> I suppose we ought to um... to rank it. Yeah. Well, as, seeing as this is my second episode, I can exclusively reveal that this is not as good as a history of violence. Shocker. Okay. Shocker. So, that... so that goes somewhere between two <laughs> and thirty-eight. Now. Right. I... <laughs> is, is it going to be controversial to say that perhaps Howard the Duck is going to go on the bottom half of the list? I don't think that's controversial in the slightest. I think that's the kind of um, safe option that we'd expect a spineless podcaster like you to come up with. Why, thank you. <laughs> do, do you want to know my actual controversial opinion? Go on. I Go think on. I might hate this more than 30 Days of Nice. The, on the only redeeming feature I think this has got over 30 Days of Night is the fact that it's not shot in real time. I know, but, but <laughs> the, the main debate I've been having in my mind is that 30 Days of Night on a technical level isn't the worst film ever. It's a very mediocre Whereas film. This is. Exactly. Thirty Days Night is a very mediocre film that just goes on for impossibly long. Whereas Howard the Duck, yeah. every minute of this film, I hated it. There was genuinely a point where I didn't know if I was going to be able to finish it. I thought I might just have to like just cancel the episode. Just say no, I'm sorry, it's beating me. <laughs> no more. Desist. I've got to admit the moment when I saw him at his house on Duck World reading a copy of Rolling Egg, which isn't even a pun. I know. I I did think I'm I'm gonna love hearing them explain how this is better than Thirty Days of Night. I haven't seen Thirty Days of Night, but I can't imagine 
that it, it's got like anything that's worse than rolling egg. No. I don't I just I feel like I could get through thirty days of night a lot easier now, purely by thinking, well at least it's not Howard the Duck. That's it. You see, maybe maybe we've got the new marketing campaign for a collector's edition release of Thirty Days of Night, which <laughs> which is Thirty Days of Night, a film so bad it doesn't contain a rolling egg non-pun. <laughs> Actually, the more I think about it, the more Thirty Days of Night is the perfect film, because as we say, watching that lasts. For an entire 30 days and nights. That's so much time in which you'll be not watching Howard the Duck. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. So, once again, Graham. Oh, God, really? It would appear (laughs) that you have subverted our ranking system. I know. And ended up. I'm astonished. And ended up moving the immovable. I'm are a you in fact figure. Are you in fact an irresistible force? <laughs> See, I, I was thinking it's more like some comet just like passing by the show during moments of great change. <laughs> the nemesis comments. <laughs> this is what's happening here. <sighs> but yeah, there we go. Number thirty-eight, Howard the Duck. You've done it thirty days of night. You're not the worst film on the list. <laughs> Amazing. Yes, right. and I mean, I think we're, we're all about to go and mull over what a historic event we've all lived through. But before Indeed. that, I'll uh, see out the show. So, yeah, if you would like to listen to more from us, you can find all our old episodes on the feed or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do subscribe to the show, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. Graham, where can people find you? I mean, ideally online, but, you know, if you want to give your home address out. (laughs) Yes. And if not, we will, unless you charge the usual fee. Oh, man. Um, Yeah, this is the first podcast I've been on that's ended in a clumsy extortion effort, so, you know, I'm used to this by now. Um, you can find me on Pop Screen Podcast, uh, the Geek Shows podcast, where we cover uh, all manner of movies either starring about or by pop stars, which both Andrew and Mick have guested we on. We have indeed. I did yes, an episode on uh, Battleship. Yes, we'll ruin any podcast anyway. <laughs> Yeah, we fulfil the same role in each other's podcasts. Every time Andrew is on, something big is going to happen. And in the case of Battleship, it was definitely towards the Harry Paduck end of the spectrum. I'm not going to say that having you on this episode was some modicum of revenge, but I'm not going to deny that either. Yes. It's it's a marker of how much my world has turned upside down that I, when I'm comparing the two, I find myself thinking, I don't think Howard the Duck has a cast member as interesting and charismatic as Rihanna. <laughs> it really doesn't. No. I'm, I'm going to have to reevaluate that's where that I'm... film now. I also review films for thegeekshow.co.uk and Horrified, the British horror website. Lovely stuff. 
And of course, if you want to hear more from us, you can find us uh, on Twitter at BeholdPod. Or you can email us, BeholdPod at Twitter. What? That's not words, Andrew. You've, you've said noises again. How would the ducks ruined you? It's made your quivering <laughs> wreck. You can't say the words, BeholdPod at gmail.com. So please email us, share in our misery. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what Beverly's uh, psycholo- psychiatrist uh, told her. Years after the How movie, Ducas wins <laughs> you. Yes. Uh, well, if you are a fan, we'd also really appreciate it if you did, you know, leave us a review on your podcast app of choice, or even just recommend us to a friend. Uh, as always, it is really the best way for us to grow and uh, reach new listeners. So that's everything. Until next time, I've been Andrew. I've been Mick, and I've been Graham. So long and thanks for listening.